Welcome to Not So Standard Deviations. This is episode 28, and I'm Roger Pang, and I'm here with Hillary Parker. So, Hi, Roger. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? It's been a while since we've uh, uh, talked, actually. I know. I've been missing this. <laughs> yeah, but I thought we had a great episode with uh, Amelia McNamara. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, it was, it was super she, interesting. She was a great guest to have on, and uh, yeah, yeah. it was just kind of serendipitous that she came by. So, mm-hmm. um, and uh, But anyway, I think... Uh, so we've got a couple topics lined up, right? Is there any, I guess, do we have any follow-up or anything like that? Uh, nope, nope. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so um, the first thing, so I'll introduce the first topic. It's going to be a little bit long, um, so just bear with me here. I think it's, it, it's kind of like, it's not quite data science per se. It's kind of like data science adjacent. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so I've, but I've been thinking about it a lot. It kind of goes back, even back to kind of like when we first had our conversations about Theranos, uh, the blood testing company. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's also and, and and so like one of the one of the struggles I've had kind of like throughout my career in the statistics area is um, uh, getting people to understand the difference between building a prediction model uh, and building a model for kind of doing inference, right? So like doing inference on a parameter or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right? And how the strategies that you do for each one of those are totally different. Right. And, um, and so the classic example is like, you know, so public health, we're often trying to like estimate associations between some, some harmful thing and some health outcome, right? So does smoking cause lung cancer, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the common mistake that I see people make is like they use something like uh, AIC or some prediction-based uh, score to kind of figure out what model to, to fit to the data. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of like not the right thing because often you don't care about predicting the outcome. What you care about is estimating this association with, you know, kind of in the best possible way. Right, and, right. Um, and the AIC, things like AIC and these kinds of scores will will will, off, will sometimes lead you to the wrong model because it will leave out variables that really should be in there or, or include things that don't need to be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, so, and, and so anyway, so that's kind of like a two kind of big categories of, Kind of modeling statistics, uh, and it got me thinking about how, like, in the you know, in the consumer kind of products world, not even not just consumer products, but in like products world, um, there are there are kind of like two broad categories. I think of things that people buy, and there's, there's probably more than two, but I can think of two. Where one is kind of like you know, if you're buying an iPod or something like that, mm-hmm. and um, a, a kind of classical consumer product. Um, where the measure of whether a measure of performance of that product is whether the user kind of experience is good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether the, whether the customer enjoys it and uh, and they kind of they have a good experience, right? Right. And uh, and if they do, then then almost by definition that means the product is good, right? Mm-hmm. And there's another category of products where are where you you do want the user to have a good experience, but it, the the product also has to kind of satisfy a separate kind of criterion that involves kind of um, adhering to some ground truth, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what got me thinking about Theranos. Uh, so it, like, this is a blood testing company where that wanted to kind of revolutionize blood testing. Um, and part of it was kind of improving the user experience uh, of getting a blood test for the person. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately the kind of company went down and it, when it was real, revealed that the blood test didn't actually work. Like they didn't actually measure the thing that they were supposed to be measuring. Right. And their indications of whatever diseases or were that they were testing for were kind of incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like some, so a product like that can fail on one, it can, it can be very successful, I should say, on, the, on one domain, meaning like the users love it, mm-hmm. um, and, but totally fail uh, in terms of adhering to some sort of ground truth, right? Right. Um, and then the other classic example that at least I run into every day is with education, right? So students can love a class, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they like learned anything. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, oh, good. Yes. Yeah. So like, I, I, I could make the class super enjoyable, right? Right. Uh, I can make the tests easy. You know, I can uh, be very entertaining, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, but um, but then there's some like the the kind of ground the, the kind of like underlying question in there for, for education is kind of like whether people learn something right mm-hmm. um and so like it's hard to measure that just, just simply through the user experience right, right. which is um, like one of the only ways that it's actually measured right yeah so like when we do when we do course evaluations mm-hmm. you know right at the end of a course um uh, it's i mean i don't know i've never studied this but i th- i would imagine a lot of the kind of user experience goes into those course evaluations yeah I, um, you should talk, 
We should bring Dan Sharfstein on here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this yeah is so a he's professor a... at Hopkins who, I remember when I was there, he had a big talk about how student evaluations were sort of unfair. He taught this, like, you know, difficult theory class. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this isn't fair because my ratings are lower than, like, the people teaching easier classes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think he had a point, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a lot of issues with. With, with student with kind of course evaluations yeah because like you know for example like I think it's been shown that you know women get worse evaluations than men and right um, yeah and so but um it's um it's, it's one thing I mean interesting if you could like do the course evaluation you know like ten years later or something you know oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like have you used this at all <laughs> yeah right was this at all relevant to you yeah yeah um but anyway I, I just I, I felt like there is I, I feel like there is a connection there between kind of the kind of prediction-based approach to data science mm-hmm. and the kind of inference-based approach, which is kind of the bread and butter of uh, kind of a traditional statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the prediction-based, I think, approach um, is very much, I think, now in the domain of like computer scientists and um, mm-hmm. and and the like. Um, right. And I think I feel like I've had a lot of conversations with people who who where the message is basically inference is dead. Like, what's the point? of doing inference we have uh, we have all this data mm-hmm. um and we can build these crazy prediction models with with, with incredible accuracy um mm-hmm. and um and so and as long as we get good predictions then it's like it's quote working right mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah and i and i wonder if and, and i think so okay so the last topic which is somewhat election related is, is the fake the whole fake news thing right so mm-hmm. um you know so facebook was purportedly you know putting all the uh, posting all these fake news stories to people's timelines mm-hmm. and and pe- and it kind of played to people's kind of unconscious bias right right um and and therefore people loved it right they they, yeah. they, they, they wanted the fake news and so if you're predicting you know what people want in their timeline mm-hmm. um this is like you're getting you're getting a good score for this right <laughs> right yeah yeah that's um, a really good way of framing it it's yeah like very positive user experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, there's some question about like what Facebook should do about news. That's like how you know should they determine whether it's fake or not? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like that kind of focusing solely on developing a good prediction, if defining the outcome as like the person spends more time on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Then then you can have a great prediction model but then it, it and, and it create a great user experience but then there may be a bigger question of like are we doing the right thing right yeah yeah um yeah and those boundaries are so blurry right now <laughs> in terms of like in terms of the responsibility of the tech companies and data scientists personally i mean i feel like i've seen a lot of data scientists online kind of like wondering about their role or just or, or like saying things like, oh, we have a ton of responsibility right now to make sure that we're writing the right algorithms and taking into account all of these things. Um, yeah. 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 I, so I, I don't know. I wonder, you might have a better perspective on this than I, I, I. So my hypothesis might be that I think a lot of both the kind of the election, but also other things uh, kind of, you know, we talked about like, you know, prediction models for criminal justice and things like that. Um, I wonder if, if uh, things like that are uh, pushing people to kind of think, rethink, well, what is the appropriate question to ask? Is it just creating a great user experience or creating uh, a product that people like? Um, is there like a bigger question or maybe an alternate question that we could be focusing on that would, that would, you know, that would require, you know, a different approach to kind of looking at data, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question. I mean, it makes me think a lot about, you know, having worked in, tech, I feel like very frequently the conversation with a product team, so someone, you know, a team that's building one of these features like search or um, like algorithmic timeline or anything like that, there's usually a debate about what success metrics or, you know, like KPIs uh, you're looking at that is, I feel like the, the average data scientist is kind of wants to say, oh, just tell me what to optimize for and I'll do that. And like, you should decide what success looks like. I mean, that's uh, probably people listening are like, no, I like love being part of that conversation. But it's true that that conversation is usually much broader than just the data scientists. Um, And 
it could be like the C levels of the company or the product people. And I've definitely been in conversations where they're like, we really need help just deciding what the KPIs are. And I'm like, I always feel ill-equipped for that conversation. Uh, yeah. It's a really well, it's, hard problem. Yeah. It's not, you know, I, I don't think it should be easy. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like, well, what do you want the product to be? You know, it's, it, I always feel like it's not actually a data question. Um, right. No, I don't think it's purely a data question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, no, I think there has to be like, there definitely has to be a broader discussion beyond data scientists. It will have implications about what you do with the data, mm-hmm. um, but it's not purely a data question. I, yeah. Yeah. It's um, all about, I mean, it's, you know, perhaps they're looping in a data person. I mean, I think it just gets really fuzzy where ideally they would say, this is the exact behavior we want. Like we want people to stay on Facebook longer. We want people to, like, I mean, I, I think that's where this question comes up because in those conversations, are people saying, oh, we want people to stay on this website longer? Or are they saying, we really care about the truth and delivering the truth, and that's, like, what we're optimizing for? And usually it comes down to, like, we want a little bit of both, right? I <laughs> bet, so- yeah, I, I would be fascinated to kind of be a fly on the wall at one of these meetings, either at right. Facebook or Twitter or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. to be clear, it's not, I mean, this isn't just Facebook. This is, no. like, basically every news org is having this conversation, too, right? Yeah, you know that's yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, because they have, you know, because isn't ultimately this could le- this could easily lead to some conflict because they have shareholders that they you know they have to make profits, they have to make money, mm-hmm. um, uh, but and doing this other thing may not lead them down that road. May not may not lead to more profits or you know things like that. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes um, it becomes challenging, I think, to have that conversation. Yeah, and um, and I do think that I mean Facebook is is a big part of I think. Of driving how a lot of news organizations behave now, I think, mm-hmm. um, in terms of because people people are spending more time on Facebook, meaning which means that they don't spend as much time on whatever news sites that they used to, mm-hmm. um, and so there's a there's a need for news organizations to get people back to their sites, you know, through Facebook or whatever social media kind of platform they're using, mm-hmm. um, and so I think it's. Um, then it becomes like this kind of if Facebook is kind of the is where the users are organized. Then the news providers are like these commodities, right? They're, yeah. That they just have to fight for, you know, get, getting they have to fight for the traffic, right? Yeah. And uh, so it, it's hard because I think if they have to, the news organizations have to make money, right? So they have this they they're in, they get into this conflict in terms of doing what's good for business and what's right. I think. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting. So this just reminds me. I've talked about it a lot. My brother is a journalist, and um, I remember when I was younger, he said something like, "Oh, the New York Times feels like it's good for you. Like it's not very fun to read, but you kind of feel like you're eating your vegetables." <laughs> <laughs> and then, but you have to be the type of person who wants to eat vegetables. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it's. I mean, that's what I was thinking about too. There's such a psychology involved with. You know, someone who is really diligent about eat, reading the news or eating their vegetables, that's part of their identity. Like, that, that is a positive user experience for them versus for other people that seems to be less important. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or not even less important, but, like, they just don't even buy into that conception of, uh, like, they don't believe, they, they have an inherent distrust of the idea that those would be truthful news organizations anyway. Right. So yes. Yeah. yeah. They're kind of immediately suspicious. Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, so yeah. I don't, I, I think the, I think there is a trend, I think for a lot of, you know, there, I think it's possible to go from like one, from one, from column A into column B, but not in the other way. So it's possible to like be a product that is purely defined by an enjoyable user experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's, I think it's possible to go from there to the other column, which is like there has to be some uh, adherence to some ground truth, and, and things tend to not go the other way. So I think like when things become so like when, when kind of things that start out as toys eventually become like really important to everybody, right? And then they I think they transition into the other column when like they have to serve some some kind of basic purpose besides just being kind of enjoyable to the um, to the to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I'm, I mean maybe across the long across you know long time ago I maybe education would have fallen in, fallen, <laughs> fallen into this category. Right um, now we believe everyone should have it right, and so it's like there's a different standard now. Yeah. Well, uh, wait. Can you expand on that? When you 
So, yeah, maybe not the best. I was thinking, like, you know, ages ago, you know, not everyone got an education, right? Right. And it wasn't thought of that people, everyone should, right? And Mm so uh, people who did get education, you know, it was kind of, they got, they just got what they got, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it was religious or, you know, or or otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. But I think when you start having public education, right, then there's like, there are, we feel, it becomes like a, a, something that we, we have to have standards for and people and we want to make sure that everyone's getting treated equally and getting kind of a good education right right and so yeah. you have to kind of meet a different bar you can't just provide something that people want it's going to be something that like meets a certain bar that we kind of we as a community agree is like an appropriate education right right yeah um, so, I don't know uh, when that agreement uh, happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it didn't happen all at once. It right. happened over time, right? Yeah. Uh, over the last, like, hundred years, you know, it's like, you know, you slowly, you know, first you have, it was only, like, you know, you know white men, right? And then you mm-hmm. had allowed women. And then there's, you know, there's, um, you had to, then they, and they had, uh, with, you know, in the 60s, you have uh, minorities, and then you have disabled people, and you have poor people, you know, and it's, uh, mm-hmm. so it's, it's over time, more and more people kind of get included in uh into the group i guess mm-hmm. and then eventually it's it's everybody right so yeah um uh i don't know i just um i'm not yeah i i can't i don't like i feel like i didn't really have a point there <laughs> <laughs> in terms of this whole conversation i just uh I, it's just something that i've been thinking about a lot and um yeah well and we were talking earlier about how this really ties into i mean i feel like this living in the kind of conflict of interest world is such, so much the realm of data scientists where it's inherently this field and we've talked about it multiple times it's inherently this field where you're balancing the interest of the product team uh wanting to move forward with something versus kind of like the truth the like truth capital t like, yeah. <laughs> like what is actually happening here and the interest almost advocating for the interests of the users and whether they're using it and um, or just not even the interest of the users, but just the interest of of having accurately measured the users. And I mean, I'm thinking about that in the context of like A/B testing, where you might have a product where you're really excited about, but you test it and it's actually performing worse. And so that that's like one of the harder situations to be in with as a data scientist, especially if the team is like really gung ho about the product. <laughs> um, yeah. I, that's, I imagine that's tough news to deliver. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean it, that, that whether that conversation is positive or not is, it should be a really good litmus test for you as a data scientist, whether to stay there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it has yeah. so much to do with the culture and whether or not, you know, it's I, like the worst situation you could be in is that people just ignore your analysis and move forward anyway, because yeah. then it's like, OK, so I'm just here to, you know, measure positives. And when tough decisions happen, I'm the first to get axed. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, happens all the time. Yeah. It's absolutely true in academia, too. It's just definitely a measure of if you come to the group and say, look, there's no association between these things or whatever, or your drug doesn't work. You know, it's definitely a test of whether the group dynamic is good if they kind of take it seriously and they kind of, um, mm-hmm. and, and don't just like, you know, dismiss it. Right. And I guess that's actually like looping back to this, you know, whole concept of, is this just about like, like where does the truth layer into the things that we're creating? And like, do we have adherence to something besides all feeling good about <laughs> like <laughs> the work we're doing? Or, you know what I mean? Like, I, when we when you were suggesting this topic, my mind would go to BI software a lot because that is such a difficult line to draw of do you just like in those data scientists, people want specific numbers, they want easy stories, they want to move forward. And so it's so easy to just build software to do that. Yeah, well, <laughs> like provide you- that user experience for the product team. Can you, can you just back up one second? Just mm-hmm. t- like, I don't know anything about BI software. Like, what's the typical thing that it, it does? Oh, like, so BI software, I thought so much about this working in tech where it's, it'll be, I mean, you know, I'm thinking about, so essentially there's this desire, obviously data scientists are in high demand and it, it's very infrequent that you have a company that has like too many people making decisions with data. <laughs> you know, like usually <laughs> okay. there's like a huge, like data scientists like 
are in high demand and they're spread thin across the company and people really want access to data to make decisions. And there's there seems to be a consensus at this point, at least within tech, that like that is the proper way to move forward. So like everyone's eating their vegetables there. <laughs> they're like, okay. like we need to use data before making this decision. But like there's I mean, obviously, for people who aren't trained in data, like, how would they know whether something is an ideal solution versus, you know, just like someone threw a number out there to placate everyone? And so I think with the BI software, there's differing levels of how much is automated um, and, and how, like, like things as simple as how results are displayed and whether, like... There's a desire to create software that automates away the role of the data scientists because they're in such high demand and yeah. to make easy decisions and to uh-huh. like hide away complexity so that the decision is really easy. And obviously, that's a slippery slope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, can see that, I, yeah. I know that there's this desire to have for A/B testing, like a you know, can we have a green light or a red light? <laughs> <laughs> and like, like, can we move forward or not? Because like, in the mind of the product manager, that's really all they want, right? Like, they don't. I mean, I well, think some make product managers care about like the statistics and are really interested in nuance there. But like, I think at the end of the day, practically for their lives, they need to either move forward or not. Yeah, exactly. They need to make a decision. Exactly, and so you have this full spectrum of people who just want the green light or red light and not. And, and so, and then there's, uh, we talked about this once cause I remember really well, you said something like, Oh, it's a race to the bottom then mm-hmm. yeah. with the software, because you can just keep, you know, someone out there will build the green light, red light. And I'm That's sure right. like, <laughs> I'm sure every person listening from a tech company has like had this conversation. And like, if it's a company that's had AB testing, mm-hmm. like so many people are like building their own software that does this. And, Anyway, yeah. so there yeah. is. It's like uh, it's it's like clickbait headlines, right? Like everyone's gonna go for the most clickbaity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thing, right? I mean... And like, yeah, because it's just it makes your as. I mean, we're not trying to like throw product managers under the bus here or anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that they have like amazing standards and are like really good at their jobs. But it's just like this is one of fifty things that they're worried about, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so. Anyway, there's like such a balance between complexity and like moving forward and figuring out that tipping point is different for every company based on the context of, you know, like the health of the company. If you're talking about a huge company like Facebook with, you know, basically they can run an A-B test on anything and have enough data within... (laughs) you know, Seconds. a couple of days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, so for them, it's like tests are very easy and they can proceed very cautiously. Whereas uh, if you're at a struggling startup, you know, you might, you might make decisions in a slightly different way. <laughs> right. <laughs> you might need to pivot your product before you totally go under. And so it's just, yeah. it's anyway, that's just a long way to say this is a difficult situation to be in and I don't know if there's an easy resolution. No, I just, I don't know. I just kind of want, I don't know. I don't feel like, I feel like at least in academia, you know, I just wanted to have this discussion because like, I feel like there's a lot of talk about, oh, you know, computer science is taking over data science or, you know, and, and, um, and how kind of statisticians are being pushed out. Uh, and I, I think that's a, that's a, I mean, it is true that the computer scientists are very into data science now. Really. I mean, it's not like there are people like building compilers and stuff like that, but a lot of computer science seems to be, you know, data science basically. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I, I think and I it's it, for me it's kind of interesting to contrast their kind of approach and their philosophy with what has traditionally been like the philosophy and statistics and the kind of the problems that we focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I just think that we are we're kind of working in different worlds, and I think. Um, we perhaps suffer because like we being statisticians perhaps suffer um, because we've never spent the time to build these very complex prediction models. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they, I don't know if they've suffered yet, but I think they may eventually suffer, except they being computer scientists uh, may um, 
suffer from not having spent that much time thinking about um, kind of inferential type problems. Yeah. Because um, I think for many of the things that they do, they don't have to worry about. The, you know, prediction is fine, mm-hmm. and uh, and producing a good a low error rate and a good result um, is what matters. Yeah. Um, but uh, but ultimately, if you want to like learn something about what's kind of actually going on in the world, or you want to learn something about some kind of unobserved truth, um, then it becomes a different story. I think. And I think yeah. If you're, if your product has to adhere to whatever that unobserved truth is, then I think uh, it, it's because things become very different. I think. Yeah, I I totally agree with that assessment, and I think that's that's definitely what I've seen sort of professionally is that there's, you know, there's a reason why I'm focused on A/B testing a lot, <laughs> like versus the average yeah. CS person, and so, and I think. I mean, I had this thought popped into my head when you said that, because I do think the importance of culture can't be overstated here, because whether or not you your company cares about truth is completely social, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially in these companies where it, I mean, you see what I mean? Like, like that's almost a business decision of how to move forward. Like, are you going to go with your gut <laughs> and like, yeah. like assume that you know so much about the users? Or are you going to be like very measured in how you, um, and how you interact with them? And like, I think that, you know, you, I feel like once a, once a week, I'm in some sort of, uh, meeting where like <laughs> this slide with Steve jobs pops up and it's uh-huh. the quote, like, users don't know what they want (laughs) (laughs) it's so common it's it's probably come up like at least it's come up a lot right Um, i imagine it like makes you feel good you know being on the inside there you know i mean in any company not just you know uh, not just your company. I mean, I feel like if you're working at a company building a product, just knowing that users don't know what they want is <laughs> makes yeah, you feel it better. gives you a lot of uh, license. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but and I think that is that's one of the big battlegrounds with A/B testing is this idea that with A/B testing you're being overly cautious and you're only making incremental changes and you can't do these like huge paradigm shifting. You know, like you'll stifle the genius by forcing them to like you know test every single thing um, right and i think that that i like i am i hear that concern because i do think the way that you go about a b testing could cause that to happen within a within a company uh-huh. um but then that being said you know if you do these huge paradigm shifts there's no reason you couldn't like also test that <laughs> right? right yeah or i yeah. think we had an episode a while back talking about the tyranny of a b testing where it's like it doesn't all have to be these perfect controlled experiments like there's right. still ways to scientifically measure this stuff and yeah 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 exactly right not everything is a controlled experiment yeah exactly right. And it's true in academia too. Like I think a lot of times in academia, the, the, the randomized trial is held up as like the gold standard. And if you can't do a randomized trial, then it's crap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just and I think getting people to move away from that is hard because I think it, it was hard to get people to, to that point in the first place. You know, to like to to actually you know think about like using evidence and kind of like the quality of the evidence and things like that. And mm-hmm. then once they're there, it's like oh, but you know <laughs> we don't want you. You can't be like an extremist about it, right? Yeah. It's like, I um, there was a really good quote on Twitter <laughs> where someone was like, "We've spent so long telling people that correlation does not equal causation that we've created yeah. a generation of like skeptics who never believe anything." <laughs> right. We, we the, the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction. Right. right yeah. And that, yeah. That I saw that too. I, yeah. that. I know I talk about all the time with the like Hillary name analysis where it drops so much. Mm-hmm. Like people were like, "Oh, well, you don't know that that was like Hillary Clinton in '92," and I was like, "Okay, like, we're, yeah. yeah, like, like, what else could it be?" It, it was just one of those moments where. It was like, okay, people like learn this phrase and then apply it to every single time they see data. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. Well, we should point people to. Uh, no, so I'm going to dig, dig, dig deep into your public health education. Do you remember Hill's criteria? No. No? Oh. <laughs> Did you teach it? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, you would have learned it in some epidemiology class. Oh, yeah. I only took one epidemiology class. So. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'll put a link in the notes. Hill's criteria for, like, wh- how you whether there's evidence of causation, basically. Oh. Um, and there's kind of six different categories yeah. uh, of, like, evidence. 
And uh, I don't remember. I, I would fail the test too because I don't remember all six. But um, <laughs> but there's things like you know, is there a so in like in a health setting, you know, is there a biological, a plausible biological mechanism for this association to exist? Uh huh. Um, is there a temporality? So something ha- like you know, does it? Does something happens? Does the if you know if you're exposed to something, are you he- are you is your health worse later? You know, is, you have a temporal relationship there. Yeah. Um, and things like, um, is there a dose response? So if you have more or something, do you have more response? You know, and yeah. And so there's like six different categories of like, uh, what of, of like if, of whether you can kind of draw a causal inference from evidence, even if you don't have like you know a controlled experiment, things like that. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up because. That sounds like extremely useful. <laughs> yeah. And that's I think that's the type of thing that where people so uh at Etsy toward the end, like right before I left, there was um a group started sort of I can't remember what they called it, but it was the idea was a group that would help product managers make decisions outside of A B testing and essentially trying to establish that, um, like set of criteria of causality. Um and it it was interesting to see that it did not occur to anyone that that would be the realm of a statistician. Um, because I think they saw it as the realm of like product people, product managers making decisions. And like, in fairness to them, that is like things they had to weigh every time they made decisions. But it was just interesting that, you know, that that was it. I think it would be so helpful to make that for like data science. (laughs) Yeah, I, I actually, it, you know, now that I think about it, I don't think I've seen, I, I'm guessing not many people are aware of that. I mean, it's kind of like a mm-hmm. public health type of paper. And uh, yeah. so the paper is written by Sir Austin Bradford Hill. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, it's a, there's a Wikipedia page for like Bradford Hill's criteria. Yeah. Um, and it kind of, it was in the 60s and it was really centered around what the smoking cause cancer. Basically. Yeah, that, I mean, that's um, obviously the big example where there is yeah, no, there's there no controlled. Be, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Couldn't At be least not in humans. Yeah. So, um Anyway, I w- it would be interesting to kind of translate that to a kind of a broader data science um, kind of application. Yeah, I think it'd be yeah. tremendously helpful. And it'd be helpful for, it would just make conversations so much more efficient. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that was the idea of this working group was like, come on, let's just like all agree on <laughs> how we make decisions so that we don't right. have to reinvent the wheel every time. Right, yeah, like can we use the same set of criteria for like a, an array of problems? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that all gets wrapped up right now into this, like, like data scientist just has to be a jack of all trades and like gut intuition. You know, it's, it's, it gets wrapped up into this like very ill-defined, unhelpful language of like, (laughs) like, oh, a good data scientist does this. And I think that's something that like defining that in terms of how you write R code or Python code or whatever, like, do you do testing? Do you make your code modular? All those things are like, we need that for writing code and implementing products and we need that for making decisions like just defining this stuff would go so far yeah it's work though that's the thing oh for sure yeah yeah it's not always the most fun work i guess i would say yeah yeah so, i guess people then that's like 40 years of impact that this guy 50 years of impact that this guy has had yeah no exactly um so anyway, I don't know how we. Yeah, I don't know how we got into that. Oh, we talked about A/B testing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just this idea of like standards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have veered far from the. Yeah. <laughs> but I do like I I like framing the um, I like framing the conflict of interest between user experience versus some underlying other thing and yeah. usually that is truth <laughs> yeah I, I feel like truth's not the best word it's the only one i come up with right um, yeah. yeah well but that's part of the problem right is that it's another thing that's really ill-defined and so yeah 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 i mean maybe it could be balanced against this like hills criteria right yeah um anyway so anyway i just um I just been thinking. I, I meant to write a blog post about it, but then it turned out that like writing is a lot harder than just talking. I know that's the, the whole podcast. <laughs> so, anyways, so I just I, talked I, to I, another podcast host about that. How it's you know writer's block and having a podcast really helps with that. Yeah. <laughs> he also had an interesting. This was Pete Scomerich, who I I can't pronounce his last name, but okay. um, they have. He's part of the O'Reilly. I think it's called the Bot Podcast. Um, okay. I'll, we'll have links to all these things. <laughs> but he um, he was he was talking about that and like kind of thinking it's so easy to tweet, right? And so you can kind of almost use that to 
like you can write a blog post as a series of tweets and that makes it feel so much easier <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know i've had <laughs> i've had that temptation too yeah like yeah. actually writing out complete sentences and well-formed thoughts is like hard <laughs> yeah well that's the thing you can like draft the tweets and then like move it over and then edit into <laughs> right it's true yeah and then you don't have to worry about like all the like threading the tweets and all this st- oh my god yeah yeah or Twitter's just, like, such an yeah. interesting product <laughs> is it is storify still a thing it's sort of i think twitter went after that with uh moments oh yeah yeah, yeah it's like similar yeah. but yeah, yeah. It's sort of interesting oh. how strong the desire is for Twitter, even like kind of despite the product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's like it has it's like so hard to use sometimes, but like people like figure out ways to make it work. <laughs> I know it's kind of amazing, like how how like Twitter has basically like all the best parts of Twitter were not created about Twitter by Twitter, right? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like it's kind of incredible. But maybe it really is that. I was thinking a lot about how it's it is an outlet for creative energy in this like yeah. unprecedented way. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to get that off my chest. I think. Yeah. I <laughs> and maybe it. we could get some feedback from. from yeah. What about it. Um, so you know, I I learned something new today. This is, this is like a really novel experience for me. Yeah. Uh, I learned about uh, neural networks. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this is totally random. I, it's not like a topic, but... <laughs> Someone presented that on them at work, and it was super interesting. Yeah? I, I, I'm not, like, I don't really use them at all, and like I, generally speaking, have no need for them. But I mean, um, my, I'm sure we'll get a gajillion replies to this, but my sense is that if you're not working with image data, they're kind of still the Wild West. <laughs> I mean, I think that's like the application du jour, you know? Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of data. Um, well, it's not just data. I think the structure of the data makes it. It's it well was, suited. It was yeah, it's well suited to optimize problems really well. Yeah, it does. See, yeah, that's kind of my yeah. Anyway, I just, I just, uh, it turned out to be simpler than I thought it was. So I, I was <laughs> Don't be intimidated by the marketing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did you learn about it? Uh, I just I don't know. I, I got this book by uh, Chris. I think his name is Chris Bishop. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called it's like pattern recognition and machine learning or something like that. Cool. Um, is that how oh. you generally learn new topics? Is by reading a book? I mean, at this point, yeah. I mean, <laughs> basically, like I had to write a lecture for my class. <laughs> I, I didn't have anything to talk about, so I was like, "Oh, neural networks. They should be interesting." <laughs> nice. Do they listen to this podcast? I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, whatever. They got a good. They got a decent lecture out of it. I think. <laughs> That's like. Teaching is the best way to learn something. Yeah, so. you know, it really is. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. that's cool. Yeah, yeah what did you was, teach about? I just talked, you know, kind of like the basic, here's like a basics. Actually, there's an interesting connection between neural networks and um, kind of an old uh, algorithm called projection pursuit, mm-hmm. um, which was like developed in the 80s or 90s uh, by Jerry Friedman at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're kind of they're closely connected. So uh, it's uh, anyway. So that, I thought that was connection was interesting. And I think um, I just talked about kind of like your basic single hidden layer neural network and how do you fit it basically the fitting algorithm for doing mm-hmm. back propagation and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So interesting. That's cool. It bought me a lecture. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I've always you know it's one of those things I've always wanted to learn it. Yeah. And, um, of course. I, I mean it's like. The buzzword du jour, I feel like. Yeah, is. but if I don't, if I have like a solid like goal or deadline, like I'm not just gonna like crack a book for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I tend to agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, um, I was gonna ask. I saw on on Twitter uh, circulating around, people are very concerned about losing um, like climate data sets. Uh, oh yeah I was thinking about you yeah like in terms of I mean is that something you're concerned about with this this is all obviously relation to the election and just scientists I feel like especially climate scientists have just been like freaking out I mean rightfully so freaking out about whether their funding's going to get cut and whether their data is all going to disappear yeah, I mean, funding is, is I think is funding is always a question. Right. Uh, anytime you have a transition mm-hmm. um, in terms of, because you never know what the next administration's priority is going to be in whatever, you know. Right. Well, um, we kind of have an idea of what the next. <laughs> yeah, in terms of, but how, in terms of how they will translate into specific funding, 
Uh, I think, you know, for climate science, we have a sense. But uh, but for, like, health, like, I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. who knows? Uh, so, um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess I, I mean, I do a little, I, da I would say I dabble in climate uh, work, and mostly in the kind of climate and health kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, uh, I'm kind of, I don't generate the, I don't generate climate data, that's for sure. I'm kind of a user of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh it's true. I mean, I think a lot of that data comes does come from the government, comes from NASA and things like that, mm -hmm. and NOAA. Uh, so I, I don't know. I guess it's it's I don't know. It's hard to say in terms of what will happen to the data. I, fr frankly, like in my experience, you know, for, for example, with EPA data, like like you never know when that data is going to go away. And yeah. It has it has seems to have like no correlation with like what administration what the administration is or <laughs> I, I find that often with especially with EPA, it just it's highly correlated like with who with like whoever is just like happens to be in the office today, you know. Really. Um, Wait, yeah, so now like, you've had, have you been working on projects where the data just disappears? Yeah, like it used to be on a website and now it's not. Really? Um, yeah. And then like I'll call them be like, what happened to this data? Like, oh yeah, the data, it's still there. It's just, I don't know, it's not on the website anymore. You know, like, <laughs> and, they'll, and they'll like, they'll email it to you or, you know, whatever. It's just. Yeah. Because um, at that level, you know, the, the technical people at the, in the levels of the bureaucracy are, you know, they're generally not political people. Right. Um, and so they, they have a job to do and they generally do it. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't, I don't know how other agencies like NOAA or NASA or, or things like that work in terms of making data available, what policies they have. Yeah. Um, so. Do you do any sort of local caching of data just, you know, to be able to move forward despite that uncertainty? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially after that one experience I had, I absolutely, like, I basically mirrored the entire EPA data <laughs> website. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. also well. The other thing is that they, the data changes all the time, so you have to have like some snapshot. Yeah, um, because is this what got you interested in reproducibility? It was all. <laughs> I mean, in part, yeah, <laughs> I, I'd say because like uh, the data is always changing, and it's like if, if you just decide to download it one day, it, it's more than likely going to be different from whatever you downloaded six months ago. So mm -hmm. yeah, um, that's a, especially true with air pollution data. It's also true with weather data. So mm -hmm. um, so wow. you have to be yeah. That sounds frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think they don't see it as that because they 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 are updating the data. Like updating data is good, right? right. I mean, so they don't see it as like, but they don't see it from a reproducibility standpoint, you know. So. Right. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's so that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, so anyway, so speaking of reproducibility, this is my segue. Mm -hmm. Uh the, I, so the National Highway Tra NHTSA, mm -hmm. <laughs> National Highway Transportation and Safety Administration, I think, um, had just released their kind of, not just, I mean like a month ago, released their guidelines for kind of autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a pretty long document. It's like a hundred some pages. Oh, no, it's more than that. It's like hundreds of pages. Um, mm -hmm. But there's actually a pretty big section on data. Oh, cool. And uh, and on and so and on what I would call reproducibility, like they don't call re reproducibility, mm -hmm. um, but in you know so there's an element of like okay if a car is driving, and of course any kind of autonomous vehicle is going to have a ton of data collection systems and uh, and automatic control systems basically, mm -hmm. um, and if anything happens like they get into an accident or if there's some sort of crash or, or a person gets hurt, um, there is a requirement for kind of like to save that data, and mm -hmm. Uh, well, the guidelines, you know, it's not requirements, it's guidelines recommend saving that data uh, and also kind of sharing it with other, it's not other companies or, you know, sharing it with other people, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just thought it was interesting because I feel like, you know, with airplanes, for example, they have the black box, right, mm -hmm. and uh, which is recording data in the cockpit. Um, but the black box doesn't do, doesn't do anything, right? It just mm -hmm. records the data, the pilots, you know, or whatever, the autopilot, or they, you know, they fly the data. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, they fly the plane. Mm -hmm. Um, but with like an autonomous car, like the computer is kind of, is I mean, it's like, it's basically doing real-time data analysis, right? Mm -hmm. um, in order to drive the car. Right? Yeah. And so it's not just collecting data. Like it's not like passively just collecting data and like writing it out to some record, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's actually using that data and then, and then modifying the behavior of the car in response to that data based on some model, right? Yeah. And I, and I was kind of like wondering like, so like if, if there were an accident, right? You would like you would have to like what would you, you would have to do you would have to go into the data and kind of reconstruct the analysis right I mean oh I um, see you know what I mean like the, you would have to reconstruct the data coming in what were the inputs and then 
basically refit the model, I assume. Like mm -hmm. you know, like re or run them through your model. At, you know, not, not fit it. I assume it's mm -hmm. already fit. But run them through your model and see what the outputs were and see how it kind of got controlled. Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was kind of an interesting problem. I don't. And I don't. I don't know. I feel like I feel like that's a new problem, but maybe it's not. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, and then presumably they would go and change the algorithm in order to see. Like, if we change it, then the car would have veered a little bit differently or whatever. I mean, I guess the cars almost never veer. I don't know if these cars do, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I feel like I've seen that a lot where people set up all these kind of hypothetical moral scenarios of, like, oh, you could either swerve and hit a grandma or, like, you might right. die in a crash and, like, what are you going to do? And right. the response from the uh, self-driving engineers was, like, you always just apply the brakes. <laughs> like, right. like these, these are interesting scenarios, but they like actually in reality, you always just apply the brakes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I hadn't heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, I, it, it was comforting to hear that because it's like, okay, this is actually pretty simple. Uh, it's not that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the quagmire that we thought it would be. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's like humans do the swerving, but that's almost invariably right. a bad thing. Right. Um, yeah. And so... Uh, but anyway, yeah, so it would be, like, feeding in the data to, like, some sort of simulation driving Yeah. Machine. It seemed like, I don't know, it seemed yeah. like it could be a nightmare. Um, but yeah, maybe these, pe yeah. these people are, are probably preparing for that, I imagine. So, or yeah. have done it already, so. Um, but yeah. I kind of wonder what kinds of data, like, it seems like the data that's collected on autonomous vehicles is super proprietary. Um, I was just thinking that too, where unless they agree on a format of this data, <laughs> it's not really that helpful. That's true. I imagine, yeah, because it's probably incredibly complicated too. Yeah, like, yeah. And like, I just, I mean, when has sharing data ever been in the same format unless it's mandated, right? Right, yeah. And, and you know, the, the guidelines don't say anything about that, obviously. It's a rather detailed kind of yeah. issue. But. Um, but it's I just like one of those wonder, details that yeah. no one except for a data person would think about, but it would <laughs> have a huge impact <laughs> right. like, on whether the spirit of the law were yeah. able to well, be it's one, produced. I feel like it's one of these things where it's like it's easy to make a guideline that says, hey, you should share some data. But like the implications of the, like one sentence <laughs> uh, for like setting up infrastructure, for setting for setting standards. And yeah. For, like, you formats. probably have to have like entire teams at this company just yeah, right. focus on the, that problem. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's a huge Yeah. But then that's the, that's like such a balance of but it's it's obviously the right choice, you know. Yeah, and I wonder if it's just one of these things where it's like if we if you do it now, it'll be kind of painful, but if you do it later, it'll be beyond painful. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's just so frustrating cuz these company, you know, it's just the way capitalism works. It's it's just like of course of course they wouldn't be coordinating on it initially you know unless right. to avoid this headache you know what i mean like there would be no real i mean that, that's that's interesting to think about whether they the people who work in these companies would feel the incentive to share data immediately and like I, I don't collaborate see, I don't see, on it yeah i don't see that there really is any incentive well uh, but surely the incentive of like having safer cars and less accidents is good for their user experience <laughs> Yeah, and I think um, if if they thought yes, yeah, so if if Google thought oh, if only we had Uber's data, we would have safer cars. Right. right. Um, accidents are so well relatively rare in these cars. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, and so well, especially right now. Yeah. And so it would be interesting. I don't. I don't know. That would be interesting to know whether. I mean, and then it would just be such a game of chicken between the companies of like who's going to have to change. <laughs> just yeah, it's a lot of like coordination that is not hugely incentivized <laughs> well i just think that the, the autonomous vehicle domain is going to be hugely competitive right there's going to be yeah. a, a number a lot of companies in that area and i was thinking how like so like in, in in like the space industry you know i think they do share safety data so if like you know, spacex has, has spacex has an explosion you mm -hmm. know they will share it with the two other companies that do this, right? <laughs> um, and so, and uh, but I think it comes down to like you know, with space, there's like three companies that really build rockets. Yeah. Wait, um, what are the other two? Well, there's so there's SpaceX, and the, the big one is United Launch Alliance. Oh. Um, they 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 basically they basically had a monopoly from up until about 2006 or so. Yeah. And then there's like Orbital ATK. Um, 
and and then of course Jeff Bezos has his company, but I don't, they, they're somewhat farther behind. But oh, um, I actually didn't even know that. So. Oh yeah, it's called Blue Origin. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. We've talked about this. I don't follow space news because I find it terrifying. <laughs> yeah, to to your detriment, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to get more into it. Oh my god. But I, I, my point is that it's not a super competitive field. Um, yeah. And so it's like, you know, what? Uh, there's probably less harm in just giving people data, uh, especially mm-hmm. if it's safety related. And it, you know, obviously, it's it's. I don't know if it's a requirement in that area. It might be, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think that it is. But I think it probably doesn't hurt, you know. But I yeah. think in a, in a hyper competitive, you know, self driving car kind of market, it, there, I think the, there's not. I don't see that there's like a market based incentive to like share data. Yeah, I um, guess even just thinking about that again, people would have an incentive to be the safest car, right? And so yeah, yeah, like sharing data would make other people safer, and that might be your value proposition yeah but it's it, but there's a collective action problem right you know it's like yes I, our cars will be safer if everyone gives us their data yeah <laughs> yeah good point right i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, yeah i mean <laughs> so um anyway that's why i feel like this is appro- it is appropriate for the government to kind of have a guideline that forces everybody to play by the same rules right um but it's it's, but I think it will be kind of a, 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 an issue of kind of setting up the infrastructure to do so, like you said, with, with data sharing formats and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's so. Anyway. I'm so excited still, though, for self driving cars. I, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I don't think it's not something we've talked about. Actually. No, no. <laughs> but I, even though I'm from the Midwest and I have driven across the country like six times or something. Okay. Um, and. I actually enjoy the act of driving, and I think you I'm do. good at it personally. Everyone thinks they're a good driver, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I feel like we just tolerate so much like violent death that we shouldn't. It's just crazy. And I've yeah. I've really grown to love like walkable cities and walkable lives, and it's yeah. So yeah, I am yeah. like happy for revolution in this area. <laughs> One of my friends was actually considered like going up to Pittsburgh just so that she could get in like an Uber self-driving car. Because <laughs> I think they're te- they're testing them out in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I see them around San Francisco for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but anyway, there's competing companies here, so you see like different ones. What um, do you see? I've seen an I've only seen an Uber one, but then there's some there's another company that I think just got acquired. That was like just for self-driving cars, and I don't remember I the see. name of it. But, okay. So yeah, there's a lot of them. Most people who I talk, I was like, I saw a self-driving car and they're like, oh, this other company. I was like, no, this one said Uber really large. So I'm quite sure it was Uber. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think this other company is like located pretty near me. So I, I, see. I don't know why I haven't seen more of it, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So I'm, I am excited. I'm very excited for it all. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be, I, I, you know, I, I have this question in my mind. So my son is six years old now mm-hmm. and I wonder I, I kind of wonder if like he if he will ever learn to drive. Yeah, I mean that's a really he's right at that tipping point, right? Yeah, like it's yeah. like ten years from now, like who knows, right? I yeah. Mean, uh, like you know, it's one of the, if you grew up in New York City, like you never learned to drive, right? Yeah, like, this is what it right. comes down to. But like, that's it, probably the only place in the United States where that might be true. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Other, yeah, I mean, because most other, most other cities are kind of spread out quite a bit more, and so yeah, you you kind of have to learn how to drive. But I wonder if ten years from now, like how many teenagers are going to be getting their driver's license? You know. Yeah, but doesn't uh, that make you feel good as a parent? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really I though, I think that's a really stressful time for parents when your kids first start driving, because the fatality in age like sixteen and seventeen is really high. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe. I, I feel like the, the, the stress with that is just kind of like, what are they doing? You know, yeah. it's not so much the fact that they're driving, but more like, what's the destination? You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> it's a good point. It's a very yeah, good point. So, so I don't know. So that won't, the destination won't change, but the way that they get there will, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, I don't know. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I think that was yeah. good. All right. Good discussion. Yeah, so um, I think um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to mention. Oh, there's one thing. So, do you mind if I do a little advertising? Yeah, go for, for it. For myself. That is. <laughs> um, we just because we just launched a new course on Coursera this week. Oh, cool. It's on. It's called Building Visualization Tools. Oh, um, interesting. And it's 
it's kind of like a, basically it's like extending ggplot2 yeah that, i was about to say so like how to be hadley wickham <laughs> yeah i mean you're not gonna be hadley wickham when you're done with this but yeah. you'll be like <laughs> You'll be ten. You'll be. I don't know. You'll be like ten percent of the way there, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. That's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. It just launched this week, and so I'm happy about it. And so it's uh, it's part of a kind of a four core sequence that we have on software development. Yeah. So. You know that actually reminds me that I had missed this tweet from Jeff that he built like a tidyverse bootstrapping R yes, package. He did. So he's like coming over to the dark side. <laughs> he wants to be one of the cool kids. <laughs> and uh and what he feels a, what like, this... a, like emotional arc for him this last year you know <laughs> <laughs> we get started with like the like i hate gg plot you're right <laughs> but we all knew it was coming you know yeah it was a very yeah, so... he thinks that ass protest too much yeah he, that was that pack i was there when that package was developed it was developed in the coffee shop nice. um yeah and um it was a. Uh, it was anyway. So Casper Hansen was there with me. Oh, did, okay. And, so uh, it's like no matter how mean I am, like. No, there was like basically he and I just spent like two hours just berating Jeff <laughs> <laughs> while he built this package. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor Jeff. We're possibly too 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 focused on this at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Man, but Casper yeah. is extremely good i i like trust him completely to have done a good job <laughs> he, he's thorough if anything, <laughs> anything if not thorough yeah um yeah and then oh and the other piece of news that's really important is that i finally got netflix <laughs> well you didn't have oh i know where this is going and first I, of all you didn't have netflix yes which is kind of astounding and then that's news in and of itself right? clearly yeah. you got it for the gilmore girls uh <laughs> <laughs> reunion <laughs> yeah, yeah whatever it was a year in the life that's right yes and i finally watched it and How'd so you feel? I, was, I was very happy that i did oh good yeah i thought you know, there was kind of mixed reviews you know it's, it's one of those things where it's like it couldn't be the same show because everyone is 10 years older like right. you know it's like like she's not a teenager anymore like it's just like it can't be the same show yeah you know and so my bar was very low uh for my expectations were very low that's the way to do it yeah yeah and uh, they far exceeded it. Uh, it was great. I mean, I think they did a good. They brought back ev- basically every character. They brought back. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it was kind of amazing, actually. Yeah. And um, and uh, you know, it was good. I don't know. You're not a fan, though, right? Uh, I haven't watched it, despite us talking about it in our first, yeah. <laughs> yeah. first or second episode. <laughs> it was like the it was the name of the third episode. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yeah, I have not watched it yet, but. I did read summaries of what happened at the end of this reunion because ah, I yes. just wanted to ruin it for myself. So it was very controversial, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, so now, 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 but now I'm stuck with Netflix. Yeah. So. Well, Toys is on there. Uh, that that like crazy '90s movie with Robin Williams. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah it's a movie. I just yeah, yeah, yeah. That last night. I, I was gonna tweet about it, but I think I've literally tweeted about it before. <laughs> Whenever it comes on, I'm like, "Toys is on Netflix." <laughs> so it's just so weird. It's such a good movie. <laughs> so you would recommend it? Oh yeah, for sure. It's like okay. a, one of the stranger movies I've ever watched. But yeah. <laughs> um, I watched like one episode of Stranger Things. Oh um, yeah, I did. I watched one as well. <laughs> yeah, and I enjoyed it, but it was uh, I didn't have time to watch the, to binge watch it. Yeah, um, I got too. I was too scared to continue. Yeah, it, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't need this. I don't need to. Be scared. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and then I watched. I think I watched Jessica Jones. I like. I went on a bit of a tour here. Yeah. yeah. So strong that was good too. now. Now this will be your every weekend. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There's a lot well, of catching up. So you've never seen BoJack Horseman or any of the other Netflix originals? No, I'm like, I just, I'm like, this is brand new territory. Okay, I, I don't know if you like BoJack Horseman, but I definitely recommend it. Very okay. good show. Really okay. depressing. <laughs> yeah, you know, Brian Caffel recommended that to me too. Actually, it's really um, funny, but it's also like very heavy. But then because it's like a funny cartoon, it's. You can get through it, so yeah. I highly Oh, it's recommend. a cartoon. Okay, I didn't. Okay. It's yeah, it's about a horse named Bojack Horseman. Oh, uh, okay. Voiced by okay. Will Arnett, and he's like this depressive narcissist, and it's. 
it's 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 very good okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i i did have this moment because like i managed to watch the gilmore girls thing before my first month was up actually oh so so i could have canceled it and gotten it all for free no but this is really i think we have talked about this before it's like seven dollars a month or something nine maybe ten dollars it's nine nine it's not it's ten dollars a month yeah Yeah. but i mean it's well at least (laughs) now i'll have it until my credit card expires and (laughs) and then then i'll cancel it (laughs) or maybe i don't know yeah or maybe you'll love these shows so much you'll decide to keep it yeah no i've said what i've seen is pretty is pretty good actually it's yeah. like it's kind of a, it's like this renaissance in tv yeah you've never seen house of cards we've even I talked seen, about no, house of cards no, i haven't yeah <sighs> okay you have <laughs> <laughs> okay. you have some work out of you <laughs> yeah. i'll watch Gilmore Girls finally and you watch no 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 no. you don't you don't have to do that for me it's okay i know but okay. i feel like i should I just, it's i want to give it a shot yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> Um, so do, I wonder if you think anyone is listening at this point. I know, I know. Yeah. So I, really, that's okay. We're we're just catching up. We haven't had an episode in like a month. That's right. Half. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. yeah. So, um, all right. Well, I guess I I'm feeling like that's our episode. Yeah. I think we should stop now. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can always contact us at uh, nssdeviations at gmail dot com, and we're on Twitter at nssdeviations. Uh, and you can visit our Patreon account, which is at patreon.com slash NSSDeviations. So yes. we'll see you next time. All right.